episode 172 of the Anarchist News Podcast, a digest on anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on anarchistnews.org. We hope it's useful to and fun for anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non-sectarian anarchist site with commentary, anarchistnews.org. What's new this week? Anarchism in the Andes from El Libertario by Jorge Zabaleta Alegre, translated by The Collective. This is a reflection on the cultural significance of an historical Peruvian real-life Robin Hood figure, Luis Pardo, who has gotten a lot of cultural recognition, including a biographical film. It ends with, quote, Surely Luis Pardo in the 21st century is still present, leading democratic proposals with honest administrations, working efficiently along with employers who are sensible of their workers. If that were not to be the case, more apocalyptic plagues will come with infinite insurgency for a better world, unquote. So it's pretty hero worshipy for some of us, and there's no information about his actual anarchist thought, or even if any exists, but regardless, a newish name to research in the anarchist annals. Amazon Truck Sabotage from Philly Anticapitalist at phlanticap.noblogs.org. A communique about a spontaneous attack on a randomly discovered truck. Quote, These seeming inconsequential acts teach us how to show up and look out for each other, act on our own accord, and in that process naturally create a culture that openly opposes the death cult of capitalism. What are the small gestures and attacks that can teach us to act on our own and run us a pack? Unquote. Always a good question, right? Three years since the death of Santiago Maldonado from Anarchists Worldwide. Quote, August 1st, 2017, not only demonstrated the cynicism of the Argentine state and the hypocrisy of its collaborators, it also opened steps toward solidarity. It set precedents that we cannot forget and we need to keep in mind. Moments of effervescence, of meetings, of euphoric glances, of preparing and being ready for everything, even in spite of the enemy's gaze on our backs. Both in those moments and now, three years later, we are aware that we are not the first, but we also believe that it is up to us not to be the last. Today, more than ever, we face our own history and we reaffirm it, both with its positive aspects and those negative ones that need to be sharpened, but with the unwavering idea that our memory of demands is action and solidarity is a weapon that we will never stop wielding, unquote. Includes some images that could be posters for those so inclined. A Drink with the Idler, David Graeber, from idler.co.uk. The Idler is a publication, quote, devoted to helping people lead more fulfilled lives, unquote. This Zoom chat with Graeber happened on Thursday, July 16th, and no one has reported back on how it went. At least not yet. Wasn't anyone curious even? Am I going to have to install Zoom, goddammit? Against Advertising Destruction, from Anarchists Worldwide, a communique, quote, Against advertising, there is only one solution, destruction. Six vehicles burned during a visit to J.C. Dassau in the night of 12 to 13 July 2020 in St. Erblain. It is unbearable to endure more advertising. As much as the government propaganda displayed on these same billboards, this visual and environmental pollution should never have existed. This text must also send a warning to the municipalities. If you refuse to remove the advertising, we will continue to fight against it with our own methods and you will also suffer the consequences." Unquote. I haven't heard about anti-advertising actions, at least not for a long time. Thumbs up, society. Bank smashed in response to raid and evictions in Berlin from Act for Freedom Now. 
a communique about an action in support of one of the oldest squats still standing in Berlin, and attempting to open discussion with squatters facing eviction and oppression in other areas, specifically Exarchia. The raid and eviction are the beginning of the planned elimination of various projects in the coming months. In addition to an attack on one of our spaces, yesterday's raid concerned the extension of the siege in the northern district of Friedrichshen and the attempt to prepare the framework for the eviction of Liebig 34. This will not remain without consequences. With our action, we call for decentralized actions against their plans. We do not want to wait for day X. The phase of evictions has already begun, and we must give a strong collective response on the streets, unquote, for reclaiming spaces of all kinds, external and internal. Anarchist Magazada Schotowicz kidnapped by police from Anarchists Worldwide. A pretty brief introduction to Magazata and the group she's in, Stop Zyrdom, or Stop Bullshit in Polish, and announcement that she's been disappeared by cops. Quote, the police officers didn't let her dress herself, nor identified themselves to the other person in the flat. We don't know which police station they are from, and we don't know Malgrzata's current location, unquote. There is a Facebook page for the Polish Anti-Fascist Coalition. Presumably that's the place to go to get more information, including perhaps how to support her and them. Rambles in the Fields of Anarchist Individualism Number 2 from Libertarian Labyrinth by Sean Wilbur, K. I've introduced Sean in glowing terms plenty of times now. This is the second of an ongoing series on writing about anarchist thinking historically, and specifically his deep, decades-long dive on Proudhon's thought here in the context of individualism. Here he quotes Armand on individualism. Quote, I do not always have just one opinion on a given subject, or a person, or an idea. I do not always and inevitably consider things and beings from the same angle and with the same eyes. I do not feel bound by my opinion of yesterday, and that of today could not oblige me tomorrow. I do not want to remain a slave to my past opinions. I don't want to be a walking corpse in advance, exhaling the smell of death, imprisoned in the shroud of my former opinions. I want to live free. I want to be able to vary my experiences, modify my points of view, revise my formulas, return to theories that I have abandoned. I do not wish to desperately drag along the millstone of my previous convictions until my demise. I want to be the heretic of my own faith. I do not wish to be tied by the letter or the spirit of what I have written in the past. I want to be free to put forward, regarding the same gesture depending on the side from which I look at it, contradictory appraisals." Unquote. That's just the first paragraph from Armand here. Sean's work speaks from a time with a very different pacing, a very different sense of timing, but it is no less relevant for those pondering their relationship to others and themselves today. In fact, maybe more so. Philadelphia Summer Skillshare Convergence from Anon. Well, hot damn! Not only a convergence in this time of isolation, but a Skillshare one! Shades of 1990s, Batman! This put me in such a good mood that I did not even unpublish the misuse of unique in one of the comments. The only even partial acknowledgement of the time we're in is that the Skillshare is being held outside and there's an injunction to bring your own stuff, seating, food, etc. The workshops are an eclectic mix in the fine, long-standing Skillshare tradition, from how to relate to dogs, to trauma support, to how to confiscate stuff, to how to disappear. Multiple workshops per time slot. While I am delighted that people are organizing this, we live in a world of much more effective surveillance, and many of the workshops are more explicitly uh, countercultural, which makes me worry for folks. Luckily, there are a few good reasons to wear masks. So whoever goes, be careful, learn a lot, and report back for us. It's happening July 25th. Blinding the Cyclops, Wrecking the Panopticon, from Crime Think. 
first-person account of decommissioning security cameras, info on how to address multiple cameras, what kinds of clothes to wear, what to watch out for, etc. One could think of this as a companion piece to the Philly Skillshare, only long distance. Worth reading, worth having fun with. Quote, Winter began pushing me indoors. Like many parts of the country, we had an extreme winter. I looked out my window, listening to the radio imploring people to go home and not drive anywhere. I looked forward to the warmer weather returning so I could go out and play again. I watched videos of the Ukrainian uprising, people outside, fighting the police, using homemade catapults to hurl Molotov cocktails over the barricades. Barricades made of snow. The video showed them packing burlap sacks full of snow and I realized the obvious. These people were fighting all day and night in the middle of Russian winter. How comfortable I suddenly felt. Too comfortable. I needed to push myself. It occurred to me, as the populace watched Netflix with their heat blasting, and police tended to car accidents and other weather-related 911 calls, anyone who would brave the elements would have full run of the town." Unquote. No memorial but attack from Act for Freedom Now, a communique about a South London banner drop in memory of Willem Vince Bronson and his last attack, which was a year ago, as well as drawing connections between a few struggles in Europe and the US. Quote, this year we only managed a small gesture of creative disobedience to mark this anniversary. But the slogan reminds us that no memorial will suffice. Only insurgent steps toward the destruction of this barbed wire world, the border, the prison, and the world that needs them." Unquote. Anarchists march in Poznan in defense of Rosbrot arrest by ANA. From A Infos, this is a terrible headline and or translation. Protesters march to defend Rosbrot, a 25-year-old squatted anarchist social center. The state is attempting to auction the land it occupies. There were no arrests during the protests. There is no explanation of what ANA means here. A-Infos is a sad, machine-based source, but I guess it's better than nothing. There's also a link to a two-minutes-plus video of protesters. Good luck to Rosbrat and squats, especially anarchist ones, everywhere. Anarchists teaming up with locals to block a pipeline through Appalachia, from Mother Jones. An article about the struggle against yet another fucked-up pipeline, it's all about the flows, people, this one in Appalachia and the teamwork that is happening. Quote, Yellowfinch, as the encampment has come to be called, is giving its full-time activists, most of whom are in their 20s, an on-the-ground education in Appalachian direct action. They're learning how to talk to media, to establish and maintain a defensible blockade in the forest, and to survive a winter in the mountains, all in a region written off by much of the U.S. as Trump country. Less explored is the region's significant history of activism that brought together outsiders and locals to resist corporate exploitation, from the labor organizing by Mary Harris Mother Jones on behalf of West Virginia miners in the 1910s and 20s, to the Mountain Justice campaign against mountaintop removal coal mining a century later. Some veterans of the latter campaign are now working with the folks at Yellowfinch, applying lessons learned in the current fight against fossil fuels." Unquote. There are some amusing notes. Quote, Pinesap recalls how poorly prepared Yellowfinch was for its first winter, but how MVP's rival camp was even worse. Pinesap remembers security guards clad in cotton uniforms, shivering and staring at their phones in a tent heated with propane, what she called a carbon monoxide special. They're out of their element and they don't really know what to do, Pinesap says. We've got a fire here. We can cook over a fire. We fill in the shack and warm up by the wood stove. We're chopping wood. We're doing things. We're being active. They, pipeline security, are sitting around like you would in an office job, unquote. Greece, everything is coming to a boil from CrimeThink. Beginning with the election of Greece's new democracy party last summer, Exarchia and its squats have seen a huge increase in attacks from police. 
Here, Crime Thing documents how the current pandemic has increased this pressure on Exarchia, as well as exacerbated several other issues. Quote, The COVID-19 pandemic has offered new democracy additional pretexts as they attempt to replace this rich history of rebellion with a police state suitable for international investment. Yet the looming economic crisis promises to render this effort moot. In this tense context, the past month has seen conflicts escalate all around the country, with the government attempting to ban freedom of assembly, police beating countless demonstrators, one of whom later apparently died of his injuries, and determined anarchists giving battle to the forces of oppression on every front, unquote. This piece originates from Radio Fragmata, a quote, anarchist-slash-anti-authoritarian radio and counter-information collective, unquote, in Athens, and does a fairly good job of balancing the facts of repression with the hopes of revolt, so not very crime-thinky at all. Female Keeps Separate, Prisons, Gender, and the Violence of Inclusion, from Anon at North Shore Counter Info. A PDF and a story on ANews to be part of a conversation on, and criticism of, the liberal framework of gender, which occurs, of course, in a larger context of questions of the uses and limitations of identity in general. Although perhaps me framing it that way makes it more likely to get swallowed in the tedious polarities of those who are simply against and those who are simply for. So maybe never mind that. Quote, Canadian society officially approaches difference positively through inclusion of diverse identities based on self-identification. This is in many ways the product of struggle, but we also have to be able to critique it to continue working towards a world without prison and the violence of gender. We will get into this more in a minute, but adopting the state's purely positive understanding of gender identity can lead us to oversimplify our understanding of heterosexism and end up defending the state's projects from reactionaries when we should be attacking them on our own terms, unquote. The intro to this piece positions it as outside of arguing for the validity of queer people and ends with, quote, anyone using this text to contribute to homo or transphobia is a fucking goof, unquote. Can I just add... Anyone using any text to contribute to homo or transphobia is at least a fucking goof. Lecce, Italy, without authority, from Anarchists Worldwide. The text of a flyer from Lecce giving a thumbnail account of anarchist resistance and brief but clear defense of anarchists currently imprisoned. Quote, but after all, if so much has changed since that experience of the early 20th century, so much is unchanged. That it is life itself that pushes to revolt seems to be quite clear, where anger and violence are the only languages that can be used against the ferocity of state and economic repression. It is undeniable that it is the prison institution itself, made up of deprivation of liberty and humiliation, childishness and torture, that drives people to revolt. It is undeniable that it is the centers of permanence and repatriation, CPR prisons, deportation prisons for refugees, made to lock up and dehumanize the undesirables of society that drive us to revolt. That it is undeniable that it is a nuclear power, technological control, and energy infrastructure designed to fuel a world of deadly and totalitarian goods that is the driving force behind the revolt, unquote. Anyone want to argue with that? I didn't think so. Anarchy, Action in the Face of Uncertainty, from the Libertarian Labyrinth. Addressing how we do things when we don't know what is going on and how, truthfully, uncertainty is far more common than certainty, even when we deny that with all our vigor. The Proudhon quote, quote, by taste as well as by discretion and lack of confidence in my powers, I was slowly pursuing some commonplace studies in philology mingled with a little metaphysics when I suddenly fell upon the greatest problem that has ever occupied philosophical minds. I mean, the criterion of certainty. Those of my readers who are unacquainted with the philosophical terminology will be glad to be told in a few words what this criterion is. 
which plays so great a part in my work. The criterion of certainty, according to the philosophers, will be, when discovered, an infallible method of establishing the truth of an opinion, a judgment, a theory, or a system, in nearly the same way as gold is recognized by the touchstone, as iron approaches the magnet, or, better still, as we verify a mathematical operation by applying the proof, unquote. What is this criterion? He never found it. A more honest man than many, right? Audio and video, Fifth Estate Live, Bill Weinberg, an hour from Fifth Estate Live. Here, David Robix interviews Fifth Estate contributor and, quote, American political writer and radio personality, unquote, Bill Weinberg. Despite the roughly 10 minutes of two old men trying to figure out tech problems, maybe mute the audio, how do I do that? This was one of the more entertaining episodes of FE Live. I say that not to give credit to Rovix, who still largely stumbles around this interview, but because Bill Weinberg is a combination of big personality, an overall talented storyteller, and particularly good in describing the various squats, rent strikes, and battles with police which took place in the Lower East Side during the 80s. That being said, maybe just skip the part talking about whether America will become fascist or not. Mm -hmm. Twin Trouble, July 10, 2020. An hour and 37 minutes from twintrouble.home.blog. This is the fifth episode of a new to a news podcast hosted by the brothers Jason and the currently locked up Jeremy Hammond about, quote, fighting the system and staying rebellious while being incarcerated, unquote. A large portion of this episode involves Jeremy describing his torturous transfer from Grady County Jail to the Tallahatchie County Correctional Center, which is worth listening to on its own as he goes into detail concerning the ways prisoners are currently being completely fucked over by the pandemic. Beyond that, Jeremy Jason and guest Grace also cover the recent U.S. rebellions, repression, and the hashtag BlueLeaks drop of personal data from 700,000 cops. Sean Swain's recorded segments on The Final Straw already seemed like doing the impossible. But here, Jeremy is actually doing a live podcast with other people from inside prison, which is insane. Also, Sean Swain and Jeremy Hammond podcast collaboration? Anyone? Immediatism 83 and 84, and an arco-satanic reversal, 26 and 33 minutes respectively. These are parts 1 and 2 of a talk originally given at the 2017 Bastard Conference on flipping Christianity's script and, quote, seeing Satan as the good, liberated rebel, and seeing God as an evil, authoritarian, fascistic dictator, unquote. Part 1 focuses on the ways in which the state uses a secularized version of divine right to rule, and how biblical myth, along with artistic reinterpretation, easily create the image of a jackbooted god being thrown aside by the anarchic angel Satan. Part 2 picks apart the ways that the most radical elements of societies, past and present, have been labeled satanic slash anarchist, and the various groups who willingly took up and subverted those labels. The topic of aesthetics and symbols in anarchism certainly seems an under-theorized one, with the questions of how we say things and present things, and who that brings in slash pushes out largely going unspoken. With this silence, a certain punk image continues to reign supreme, and while a reappraisal of this is long overdue, heavy use of subverted Christian symbolism isn't exactly my bag. Topic of the week, people not commonly thought of as anarchists. There are some people who have been claimed by my favorite anarchists, but who never called themselves that. Stirner and Nietzsche are two who leap to mind. Foucault's probably in there somewhere. Ignoring 
or not, the ahistoricity of naming people something they wouldn't have called themselves, who have been your favorite non-anarchist influences and why? What did they do or make or write or say or show or prove or all of the above that encouraged your anarchist thought and practice? What do you think they would say if they were alive to hear themselves claimed by anarchists or at least an anarchist? Would Nietzsche appreciate the love or be irritated because mostly anarchists are still regrettable in the ways he called out during his life? Definitely extra black stars for folks introducing new names to us and for crying out loud, say why and what. Greetings, Anarchy Land. Ariel here. I have a very special guest with me today. On the line, I have Christian Williams. Hi, Christian. Hello. Uh, Christian is the author of Resist Everything Except Temptation, recently released on AK Press. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and uh, Christian's new book, Christian is the author of many fantastic books. And if you don't know who he is, then for God's sake, wh how, what, don't, how do you not live on the internet? Go, go Google Christian Williams for goodness sake. Um, and, but his latest book is about Oscar Wilde. And so in regards to this question, Christian and I are both going to generally talk about the question, but also I am thrilled that I'm going to have Christian here to wax about Oscar. So welcome. Thanks for sitting and talking to me. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation. Um, so what do you think about this question? I think it's an interesting question. Um, I think that anarchism has always drawn from a lot of different kinds of traditions and that there are always these figures that are sort of adjacent to anarchism, but not quite in it. And um, that the similarities are often revealing, but the differences are also often very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, what, one of the people, one of the figures that comes to mind that I became very, very familiar with doing the research on the wild book was William Morris, who People now mostly uh, associate with his wallpaper, but uh, he was an important designer. He was an important critic. He was also a very important socialist, um, and he considered himself a Marxist. But if you look at the kind of world that he was hoping to bring about, it's basically the same as the kind of world that Kropotkin was hoping to bring about. Um, their main difference being that Kropotkin thought that uh, once we got the government out of the way, the natural sort of solidaristic tendencies of humanity would just rush to the surface and fill in the gap. Mm -hmm. And Morris thought that we needed to very carefully build new kinds of institutions before going about tearing down the ones that, that existed. Um, in terms of like looking back at Morris now, it's um, it would be hard to peg him as a Marxist because he's not his writing. Well, for one thing is good. And it's not cluttered up with this sort of like pseudoscientific jargon that has come to characterize Marxist writing. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, when E.P. Thompson wrote a mammoth biography of Morris, he had to really work to kind of shoehorn him into the, the Communist Party orthodoxy of the time. Um, and a lot of the book is devoted to like making sort of apologies for how much Morris does care about um, you know, life being pleasant and beautiful and things like that, as opposed to the, the, um, rigid discipline of the principal revolutionary. Interesting. That's absolutely fascinating. 
Well, that is certainly a much better answer than I have. Well, I don't know. Maybe not. I, um, I'm a tremendous SF uh, fan. I would not call myself a tremendous SF geek, but I like, um, it's my, it's my go-to leisure, you know, fiction reading. Um, and, but all of the people that I want to claim, none of them are people who, who ever made claims themselves. I'm pretty, pretty positive. So my favorite writer is Octavia Butler, um, but she absolutely would not have wanted to be claimed as an anarchist. Uh, and I actually think that there's lots of um, prophetic anarchist perception in Asimov and um, Huxley and um, who am I thinking of? Uh, I can think of his books. I can't think of his name. There's someone that I'm missing. Um, but to my knowledge, none of them actually called themselves anarchists. And um not that I would say that like Asimov was pushing anarchist politics in any of his series necessarily, um, but just that um, you can, I, or I can, I can see uh, the anarchist analysis, the anarchist critique and his visions of the future. Um, and, and generally think that they're, uh, yeah, in- prophetic and incredibly well done. Uh, and so th- that always makes me happy. Um, but uh, yeah, actually got claimed early on. Um, you know, Emma Goldman, who's maybe a little bit notorious for claiming basically anyone she liked as being an anarchist, whether <laughs> it's my understanding. Um, she wrote him a letter uh, welcoming him to the movement, which I think. <laughs> um, although he also, um, I forget, it may have even been the Fabian Society. My my memory isn't totally solid on that but there there was some socialist sect that he was joining and he specifically said that he would that he was devoted to socialism for the same reasons as oscar wilde and not for the reasons laid out by Karl marx um so there's i I think your intuition about huxley is is well grounded even if not quite as clear as as goldman would have liked to think that's funny. I like that she just claimed him and and accepted him in without him being asked. That's pretty excellent. <laughs> the other author I was thinking of was Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have any recollection of there being anything in his life where he made any proclamation of any sort, and certainly not an anarchist one. Um, but he certainly managed to, uh, yeah, bring I think a lot of appropriate anarchist tra- critique to a, a, quite a few of his novels. Uh, anyway, um, so, but the person that you dedicated a book to was Oscar Wilde. Who did refer to himself as an anarchist, did at he? least, yes. Um, once in um, an interview, he said, uh, and this is a paraphrase, but not by much. He said, well, I'm a socialist, but we're all socialists nowadays. So I must be something more. I think I'm something of an anarchist. <laughs> um, and then in um, in a written exchange with a French magazine, um, he said, and the you know this is the he said it in French, but I'm not going to torture you with my bad French pronunciation. Um, but the English is uh, once I was a poet and a tyrant, but now I am an artist and an anarchist. <laughs> 
Nice. There were a couple other instances where he came right up next to claiming it and then didn't quite. Um, my favorite of these was in a letter where he told the story of um, taking these two young men out on a um, boating trip and getting caught in a storm and getting back very late and totally soaked to the bone and going to the hotel and the, um, the proprietor uh, regretfully saying that he could not sell them brandy because it was after 10 o'clock at night and the liquor laws did not allow it. Um, but decided that since they were clearly so cold, he would just give them the brandy. And, uh, and Wilde said, you know, not a bad effect, but these laws are ridiculous. Of course, um, I believe the young men's names were Stefan and Alphonse. Mm-hmm. He said, of course, Stefan and Alphonse are both anarchists now. <laughs> and it's really the of course that does the, the work in that story. It's so true. So, well, I guess my question is, um, okay, I have a couple questions. So first my question is, um, was it, based on one of your quotes, was it just the idea of being an outsider that you think drew wild to wanting, you know, claiming being an anarchist? Um, well, if everyone's a socialist, then certainly that's not, that's not good enough. Um, <laughs> or was, would, uh do you think he was actually drawn to um, what we could point at as the, as the contemporary anarchist thought of the day? Um, Yes to both. (laughs) Um, He, so there, there was by his disposition, um, a need to always sort of uh, push things a little bit further. Right. Um, so if socialism seemed practically respectable, of course he was going to want to, um, stake out a position that was slightly outrageous. Uh, On the other hand, um, he clearly, well, in his essay, The Soul of Man Under Socialism, the kind of society that he envisions is, I think, fairly clearly an anarchist one. I mean, he talks about um, no authoritarian socialism being acceptable. He talks about anything that is done out of coercion being spoiled at the outset. Um, he does talk about there being a state, but he specifically describes it as a state that does not govern. Um, the, and in terms of the sort of positioning him within the anarchist tradition, um, he was personally friends with Kropotkin, um, referred to him as um, uh, exhibiting the, the soul of Christ that was coming out of Russia. Um, Kropotkin returned the favor after Wilde's death and said that, referred to the soul of manner of socialism as um, that essay by O. Wilde on anarchism, which uh, deserve, phrases which deserve to be engraved as phrases from the Quran are engraved in Muslim lands. Um, so they clearly had sort of a, a mutual admiration. Um, there's, it's, it's pretty easy to see the influence of Kropotkin in Wilde's thought, uh, especially about things like evolution and about sort of the, the for lack of a better term, human nature. Um, Wilde also uh, drew from uh, some 
as we were talking about earlier, sort of anarchist adjacent sources like uh, William Morris um, and Edward Carpenter. Um, and then Carpenter also drew a lot from, from Wilde's work. Um, Wilde was also a, an influence on a, a figure at the, uh, contemporary to him named George Ives, who people don't re really remember very much today, but uh, he founded a secret society with the um, agenda of organizing uh, men who loved men and eliminating uh, <laughs> the laws that were prohibiting that. Um, and just, so, to, just to, I'm going to stop for just a second, just to check yeah. in for our listeners, tell me what year this is. Um, this would be the 1890s. Okay, there we go. Please continue. Um, Wilde also, like, regularly quoted Proudhon, um, drew from uh, uh, the, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but Nachiev's uh, Revolutionary Catechism in his play Vera or the Nihilists, um, a play I should hasten to add is only of historical interest and no one should read it for literary purposes. <laughs> um, Noted. Uh yeah, so there, there was, he was clearly conversant in the anarchism at the time. And uh, part of my project in the book was excavating where those lines of influence were, and then also seeing what later anarchists took from Wilde. Um, and he was a large influence on Emma Goldman, and um, maybe even more so, and this was surprising to me, uh, to Alexander Berkman. But yeah, the, the later generation, like immediately after him, really looked to Wilde as a figure in a way that kind of got obscured later. Yeah, that's amazing. I had absolutely no idea. Um, is that why he was the focus of an, an entire book for you? Yeah, I'm. at some point, like I've been a lifelong um wild fan, I guess you would say. And at some point I realized that there was a lot more philosophical depth than people typically associated with him. Like pe people now basically remember him for being gay and funny. And in fact, he was a, a very serious thinker on questions of aesthetics, ethics, and politics. And especially um, taking seriously the the Solomandered Socialism, and looking for how it related to the rest of his work, uh, the more I looked at it, the more the politics were sort of infused in everything that he did, which most um, most anarchists who notice Wilde at all basically just zero in on the Solomander Socialism and leave aside the picture of Dorian Gray and the society plays and the poetry. Um, most Wilde scholars make kind of the opposite mistake of bracketing the soul of man under socialism and thinking that it's just this like one-off awkward thing that doesn't really relate to the rest of the work. Um, but I, if we really want to understand um, even something seemingly as, uh, as superficial and just playful as uh, the importance of being earnest, it really helps if we take his politics seriously. Interesting. Okay, so I have one more wild question for you. Mm -hmm. 
the anarchist landscape is really different than it was in the 1890s. Um, and, and not that you are, have, have the expertise or necessarily any right to, but I've, uh, uh, I've got you and I trust you. So, um, what do you think would be his reaction to the modern the anarchist landscape? Do you think that he would think he had a place in it? Would he find um, it, find it, uh, recognizable or welcoming? Well, let me start with a small advertisement here. Uh, okay. I have an essay called Rewilding Anarchism, which will be appearing in Toward Freedom in about a month, um, where I take the approach of visiting what Wilde's thoughts, what lessons contemporary anarchism can take from Wilde's thought. Um, and the main argument that I make is that uh, he would really be disappointed in how puritanical we are. And in terms of whether he would find it welcoming, um, you know, an Oxford-educated aristocrat who loves to talk about Jesus and uh, sleep with teenage boys would probably not fit in particularly well um, with our current scene. Uh, I think the better question is whether there's a way that the contemporary anarchist movement would be attractive enough for him to even try. Ah. Um, so from the other side and in an attempt to engage with the question, what do you think Wilde would say if they were alive to hear themselves claimed by modern day anarchists? Hmm. I mean, that's, He always liked to be admired. <laughs> Pro probably um, that at least would appeal. Um, he also was um, uh, very suspicious of anyone sort of posing as a disciple. Um, not just of him, but of anybody. So nice. I, I think he would probably be a little concerned that, um, uh, well, as he put it in a different context, that we were degrading the classics into authorities. Oh, um, very nice. That's fantastic. Are you there? Yep, I'm here. Oh, good. Very good. Um, Okay, so uh, before we go, I'm going to ask for um, uh, William Morris' writing recommendation. Um, let's see. He has a number of essays, the titles of which are hard to remember because they all involve, they all have the word socialist in them. Um, <laughs> one is the socialist ideal. Um, oh, there's one called How We Live and How We Might Live. Um, one is called socialism and art, but the, um, I believe the book is out of print, but a lot of those were collected in a collection also titled socialism and art mm -hmm. and really his, his short essays about, um, socialism and what we might hope for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would start there. Great. Also, if you're patient, E.P. Thompson's, uh, biography is 
excellent, although it's extremely long. Yes, I'm not sure I'm that patient. Um, I have read it's Sumit it's B. Thompson, it's and it's you feel like he goes the long way around every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about your favorite wild writing. Um, for someone who's just curious, I would say start with The Soul of Man Under Socialism. Mm -hmm. uh, for someone who wants a deeper dive, I would say look at De Profundis, which is a letter that he wrote to Alfred Douglas from prison that really, I think, is his most serious philosophical writing and captures his overall view of, of life and his life in particular. That's very exciting. That's one that I haven't read. So uh, Soul of Man Under Socialism, which you can get basically everywhere. Uh, Little Black Cart sells, uh, sells it in pamphlet form. Enemy Combatants put it out several years ago. Uh, but you, got, I mean, you can find the PDF online and download it. Yes, my goodness, go read it. Everyone, go read it. Easy to get your hands on. Uh, and uh, Profundus. Very good. Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts before we go? Uh, thanks for the conversation. This was fun. Yeah, there was just tons of them. Thank you so much, Christian. I very much appreciate it. I enjoyed this immensely. Um, well, there you go, Anarchy Land. Uh, old anarchists reclaimed anew, or actually maybe not so much. And um, take care of yourselves. Be safe. Stay angry. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Christian. Thank you. Bye. podcast was sound edited by Greg. The What's New was written and read by Chisel and Greg. No editorial this week. And we thank Ariel and Christian for their help with the topic of the week, non-anarchist influences. To learn more, anarchist and anti-political books, pamphlets, and other material are available at littleblackcart.com. For news by and or about anarchists and up-to-the-minute commentary, see you at anarchistnews.org and or the Anarchist News IRC chat room linked on Amy. You keep throwing stones though your house is made of glass. You've helped to make McCarthyism popular at last. First they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. This is Janet, she's helping Mummy to wash up. This is John, he's helping Daddy to fix the car. Oh.